Listening to AM 1490 Welcome to another Charlie Foxtrot. That is an episode of Paraprobe. That's right. And we are probing today. Mm, Probing. Because we're going to be talking about the movie Sapiosexual. And we're going to be having the uh, lead actress, the producer, director, writer. Um, I think she did the film work. I think she did the editing. The sound, <laughs> she did like everything on this movie, man. Deborah mm-hmm. Twist, uh, she'll be coming on the show here in about 15 minutes. Everything. Yeah. Uh, we got quite a few bookings coming up and special guests coming up in the near future we're going to be bringing on. Uh, there's a couple of really, really cool movies coming out in the near future. Um, like, we are all about paranormal, so we do like fantasy talk, all that good stuff. And uh, not just in the bedroom fantasy stuff, but, you know, fantasy <laughs> Uh, well, we do talk about that too, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, I, I mean, yeah, we do. So, uh, but anyways, yeah, we, uh, there's like a, a couple of really cool movies that are going to be coming out that we're going to be talking about here in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be having like the actors, uh, from the film coming on. We have, uh, we, uh, a couple of horror movies and alien movie. Um, I'd like to give a big shout out and a thank you to October Coast PR firm, uh, and especially my buddy Clint Morris over there who, uh, who runs the place. We've been getting a lot of bookings for a lot of their, you know, uh, their talent that come on our show. And everything from directors, producers, actors, actresses, pretty cool. Um, it's it's definitely picking up. I mean, our show is definitely picking up with the things that are going on, uh, with the type of talent we're going to be having coming on and such. Uh, we're going to be talking to, in the near future, Mr. John Zaffis. Uh, I'm going to be having him come on the show too. So you guys will get to talk to the Godfather of Paranormal. We have quite a few people coming on. It's it, I don't want to give it all away, like you know, in one show. Yeah, you, you know? do. Yeah. you do want to give. It I do all want away. to give it away, but at the same time, <laughs> I don't. You know, I want to kind of tease it out there a little bit. I just want to just tease it a little. Just give you just a little, <laughs> just a little. <laughs> I can't stand you. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. It, it's. I think it's this movie that we're going to be talking about today with Deborah that's really got me on this kick. I guess. Yeah, you're in the gutter for it, sure. Oh yeah, big. Time. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. So I have to say something. Okay. And it's driving me crazy. Go for it. And I'm sure it's driving you crazy. Do it. So, as we all know, us Floridians that have been here for a while, not the new Floridians, I'm getting to you, traffic has gotten crazy worse. Oh, God, yes. Now, I don't want to put blame on anybody, but I do, but I don't, but I do, but I'm going to. So, I know it's very common in, like, the big cities of California for, like, traffic to be at a standstill and y'all just be chilling. But, bruh, that ain't common here. Like, you need to go on, like, TikTok and watch OMGS Wix because you'll see that, like, 
illegal speeds are our thing. Like we, the speed limit is the pirate's code. It's more like guidelines than actual rules. Yeah, our, let's our, go. We our, don't need to be stopping at every freaking turn on like seventy five, two seventy five, yeah, ninety five, forty five, all of them. Yeah, our speed limits. Our speed limit signs are more of a a, a metaphor, but um, <laughs> not to be taken literal. Uh, no, they they are. I mean, you know, we want you guys to be safe out there. But man, I don't know what it. I, I totally agree, man. We're both on the road a lot, you know. You and I, we're we're always out here, especially I four two seventy five seventy five all three. And I'm telling you, man, there's days like you're you're sitting in a parking lot, basically, you know, on the interstate. Legitimately, not yeah. not just basically, is a hundred percent legit. Well, I mean, we're not I, literally in a parking lot, but the road turns into a parking lot. Cause everybody stopped, and then as you finally get down the road and you find out why. It's all because of one little fender bender that is off the road. It's not even that. There's not even a fender bender. Like, there's legit. I've been on standstill traffic for no reason. Oh, yeah. And it's literally for no reason. There is no fender bender. There was a turn in the road. Yeah. Like, not even like a 45. It was like wider than that. Yeah. I'm like, dude. The other thing is, too, when you need to, like, get around the vehicle in front of you. If there's nobody behind the vehicle, like you're getting off in an exit, <laughs> right-hand lane. I've had this happen so many times. Right-hand lane, right? Full, far right-hand lane. So you're, you're not over in the fast lane. You're far right-hand lane. You're coming up on an exit. There is nobody for like a quarter mile to a mile behind you. And some idiot will come all the way up just to get in front of you and cut hard right, right in front of you just to get that exit because for some reason they they feel like they're living in the Fast and Furious and they had to beat you in a race that you're unaware of that you're in. I have legitimately saw this the other day. I think it was last weekend actually on the way here. Yeah. This car cut over like they literally turned out of the gas station, was going very slow when they turned out, and then all of a sudden hit the gas, cut off everybody – there was like a line of cars, and then there was nobody because the stoplight had just turned on. Mm-hmm. They literally sped up to go around the only three cars on the road to cut over three lanes of traffic to turn. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> Anyways, the, enough of the PSA, enough of the um, the frustration. Yeah. John said our voices sound extremely loud right now. That's what John said. I'm sorry. I'm too loud for you. My bad. Yeah, My bad. Yeah. Is yeah. that better? Yeah. Is that is my sultry tone soothing for you now, John? I, I think it might be. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, he's listening to the show right now. Uh, is he? Which is funny is he one of our three listeners? It, which is funny because I I I never expect John to ever listen to our show. I think he listens to it just to gain ammunition to talk junk. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> John will never listen to our show because he likes it. It's because he's waiting for us to screw something up that he could just rub in our faces. And don't get me wrong. We love John. John is like my big brother. I mean, I've been friends with John for like 20 years, and and he's one of the closest friends I have besides Jesse. And I do consider him family. I really do. Um, but it, that's how we are, though. That's how me and my friends are. We're brutal with each other. We're mean. Yeah, we're mean. We just are. You know, I, I have I've had other people outside our circle try to hang out with us. And they're like, man, you guys like seem like you hate each other. It's like, no, this is how we bond. This, this is, how is we love. Are. This is true love. Yeah. <laughs> true love is hatred. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. 
what in the world are you doing? Oh, John was sending some other stuff, but I can't repeat it on air. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Stop texting my compadre okay. on the air, bro. So, anyways, yes, we do got a lot of stuff coming up in the near future. Hey. Uh, we're also going to be doing other styles of programming, too. Uh, well, Parapro, but I want to keep it just doing the paranormal all the time. Okay, we want to change it up and do other stuff. Uh, we may be coming out with a second show later down the line. Um, it's not set in stone, nothing like that oh, at totally all. Fine. Just we, uh, some ideas that we've been tossing around. And I guess we have our guest calling in right now. All right. And Miss Deborah, are you there? I'm here. And there you are. You are real. You exist. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> All right. Indeed. So uh, real quick, just a quick reminder. I say this to all of our guests when they phone in. We are a live radio station. We are live on the air. We do have to go by the FCC fine, so no cussing. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> okay, perfect. Because trust me, we, we have to watch ourselves 24-7. It's, it's hard. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, we want to jump right into the crux of everything. Um, first off, it, okay, I, when I got contacted by the firm that they were telling me about your new movie, you know, Sapiosexual, and, and they were talking about, you know, check, you know, having me check the movie out, interview you, everything else. I'm like, sure, you know, just like I do with any other guest. But then when I pulled it up, who you were, and uh, because I, I'm not gonna lie, it, like for a half a second I just wasn't matching the name with the face, and then I realized that you were the teacher in the movie Kickass. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, I'm like her, okay. And then like as, <laughs> as I'm going back and I'm looking at all the film work that you've done and everything, I was like, man, I'm like all these credits you have, and it's like, and now you're directing, you're producing, everything else. Do you ever take a break? Because I was looking at all the film work you do, and it seems like you're always working. I love what I do so much, and it's what I wanted to do since I was three years old. So I've this is my life. This is my life. And I also, um, you know, have two kids who are now college age and a bunch of rescue animals. So, I mean, I literally, when I was three, I knew I wanted to have a family. I want to be a filmmaker and an actress, and I wanted to have as many animals as my mate would allow me. <laughs> literally 11 little rescue dogs and 11 cats and a turtle. And it's just, I mean, so many parts of life are just the best ever. It's exactly what I envisioned. And I'm definitely a weirdo. I'm definitely strange. I'm a little bit of a nerd. So this is perfect for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first off, you show me one person who somewhere in their little midst of their private life is not a weirdo. <laughs> Everybody's a weirdo <laughs> on some level, one way or another. <laughs> yeah, I'm outspoken about it, though. I take pride in it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I say let the weird flag fly. You have to. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. The, the people, like I've told people before, you know, when we talk about people, you know, who think that they're crazy about the things that they do, stuff like that. It's like, look, everybody's crazy. The ones that are locked away are just the ones that got caught. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good way to look at it. That's, yeah. that's the rule I live by, at least. Me and Jesse do. Um, so, all right, so jumping into the movie. So a couple of things here first. First off, okay, with this type of movie, obviously there's a lot of nudity involved in this film. How comfortable was it for you jumping right into that for filming? Um, actually, it was very easy. I, you know, I, I, in the 90s, I worked as a stripper 
to pay for my movies. So did Jesse. And, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> and it was not, I mean, it was, it was very difficult when I started because, you know, it's so against uh, American culture as a woman to be topless and use our bodies to make money. But I very quickly realized, like, most of the women that I was working with were all putting themselves through college or they were artists. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, I've had standards and a way of ethics that I would not, you know, I would not cross certain lines. And any guy that would ask me to, I'd tell him, you know, what are you crazy? If your if your wife or girlfriend or sister was doing what I'm doing, would you say something like that to them? And that would immediately shut them up. And so, you know, I I was able to um, use that environment to have the flexibility to go to film festivals, uh, to buy headshots, to pay for really great acting classes, all these other things. So I was already, you know, I'm comfortable with my body, and I don't see the body as something that needs to be so um, hidden. And, you know, it's a it's an object of art. It really is. I mean, it's like art directly from the other side, you know. And I think it's a very fascinating place that we're at where everyone is so afraid of, of, become, of being nude on screen or whatever. And because I was the one who was calm and relaxed, it made the guys more calm and relaxed because I figured somebody has to be a ringleader here and making everybody just feel at ease. Absolutely. And, you know, and I've noticed that too. Like a lot of people when they, when they have to have do nude scenes on films and everything. And, and, and I know how it works on films. I've, I've worked in films and everything else. Um, I, I know that there's like, you know, 20, 40 people there that's in the background that's filming and everything else too. So it's not like you're, like having a romantic moment with this person. It's work. You're not, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you, you totally get this and I know you do. And that's the reason why I'm glad I brought this up because I wanted you to explain it where people can understand. Like this is not a, a romp or a sex thing. It's like, no, this is like, this is work, you know, and, and it really yeah. is. And it's a much harder than what people think. Well, and it's interesting too because we have, I, I we have one big, uh, sex scene in the film. And it's not even a sex scene, in, in all honesty, in my Oh, opinion, no, it's not, yeah. Because it was very much, to me, like, I really wanted it to feel like every shot was from a Caravaggio painting. That's what I wanted it to feel like. Yeah, wow. And, and that is, you know, I wanted it to be the most European um, intimacy scene in an American film ever. And I studied a lot of different scenes from American films, and none of them were able to capture the thing that I wanted to have portrayed. So we really took our time, and it was really about the shots and about how a hand moved mm -hmm. and how the camera moved and all of these kind of things. So there was absolutely nothing sexy about it whatsoever. It was so technical and, you know, is the light good? Oh, no, put your face this way a little bit more. And, I mean, it was really interesting. It was actually a very fascinating way to do this, um, because literally, if you take almost any frame, it looks like a painting. And I was lucky. I had some amazing people there to light and film. We had two cameras. And um, my best friend from college, who actually wrote the original short that the script was based on, stepped up to be the, I don't want to say intimacy coordinator, because those people make things feel very uncomfortable. In my <laughs> opinion. Like this woman actually made it feel... You know, she she said, no, do it this way and go slower because then it's more erotic and it's more beautiful. And so it was a very interesting experience for sure.
Well, the one thing that I noticed about it is just like you were saying, it's like you had this film that, you know, and honestly, we, we know this. I don't want to give everything away about the movie. It's not just about sex. It's not. There's a whole underlying story with this whole thing. Um, oh, yeah. But, like, with the sex that takes place in the film, there really is no sex. There's, like like you said, there's, like, angle shots and stuff like that, but there is no sex per se. Um, right, but there's nudity. There's nudity. Yeah, there's <laughs> nudity. There's just not sex. Yeah, yeah. It's left up to yeah. the to the person's interpretation for what they're seeing. And, and you know what? Yeah. It, you know what it reminds me of in, in film style. I kid you not. And this is going to give you a really big compliment. It reminds me of the way that Steven Spielberg decided to shoot a lot of scenes in Jaws because the shark wasn't working. That it left it up to the audience's interpretation of the shark being under the water. Hello. Hello. Sorry, I lost you for a second. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I, thank you so much, and I love that. And, yes, it's true. I mean, you know, to me, and uh, I, I think from what it, when I talk to a lot of different people about what makes, you know, I actually had a post that I put on Facebook several years ago. It was like, what makes a, the most erotic sex scene that you've ever seen? And all these different people weighed in, and we ended up having this really interesting discussion about it. And it's not so much the actual, you know, the part that's almost like a porn film. It's about the the beginning and the after. Those are the parts that make it truly erotic. That is true. I agree with that, yeah. It's like um, for guys, I mean, well, I can't speak for all men, but, like, you know, for me, you know, it's like it's almost sexier to see a woman in, like, say – a really nice outfit opposed to just being naked, you know, because there's there's more that you have to use your imagination to really, you know, capture what she may look like, you know, to, to you know, that that it really, I'm trying to think how to put this. This is kind of weird how I can put this without Maybe out I wrong. can interject and in, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, it's better to leave something to the imagination Thank you. Thank you. than to just show it all off. I mean, working on the beach, we see everything all the time. Um, and take that every way you can because it's true. It's true. We yeah. and <laughs> down here. I, I have I have <laughs> conversations with guys on a regular basis. I'm like, I I don't get it anymore. Like some of, and I'm not. Do what you do. If if you got it, flaunt it. Do what you do. Whatever makes you feel good about yourself. I, I'm not I'm not like trying to shame anybody. But like, for me personally, and maybe because I'm a middle aged. I guess I'm middle aged now, right? Yeah, yeah, you're no, there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're you're in the circle. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> but as a middle aged guy, I tease me like leave something for the imagination. Like tease tease me with something. Don't don't just like, hey, this is what you're going to get. I want to unwrap the present. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that that was another thing too. Like you know the casting. You know, I, I wanted to have uh, the older guy be someone who, who looked like a normal older guy. And, you know, he's the, the um, uh, Nick Carden, he's my, my actor, and, you know, he's got a very sexy quality about him, but, you know, not in the traditional sense. And, you know, it, it was really important for me to make him look truly like... Um, desirable and and as erotic as he could be well like, and and i i like that i like that aspect i mean for that for that reason alone it feels more european to me yeah like with his character in the film you know his character was very demanding you know everything oh, yeah. was very much his way you know and 
I I know this might sound off key, but I know that for some women that actually is kind of attractive when they have a guy who knows what he wants, who says what he wants, you know, and like so even for the character itself, um, you know, it, it did come across like you said as an older gentleman who is average looking, but there's their persona about him, you know, the, especially that character too, you know, in that movie. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, think about it. Like, you know, an older professor who his whole life has been betting, you know, young students or whatnot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to make that film. And, you know, we, we shot that over only five days. We what? were shooting, we were averaging really? about 20, yes, 20 pages a day. And we had two, three camera setups. And, um, so we were, you know, we were all a book and just, you know, going through the scenes and, and it really helped for a lot of the argument scenes because, you know, we knew we had to get through those scenes in, mm-hmm. in two hours. It was eight pages that had to get done in two hours. So there was this, this like, um, kind of, um, antsy feeling underneath it. And it, it ended up working inside the scene. And I love that aspect. I mean, it was really, it was so fun and, and then we would do uh, improv because we had, you know, the cameras and everything set up. It was like, okay, well, let's just do more. Let's go beyond that and let's see what else is there. And, yeah, we were just moving from one one setup to the next. And it was it was a very exciting process that we went through in order to achieve it, for sure. And both my actors were absolutely incredible. I love working with those guys. Yeah, no, that sounds so. I got a, I got a dumb question, and it just totally popped in my head, and I I have to I have to. Have Here to spit we it. go. This is where the train wreck starts. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you're doing improv, because I know because Chance and I have done a little improv together. Um, when you're a little, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> this show is completely improv, and we fly by the seat of our pants on this show. Fair enough. So, yeah. How often do y'all like come up? Did y'all wind up like? laughing at something that just came out blurted out because it was the first thing at the top of your head and it just kind of broke the tension from you know the rushing the sense of urgency to get the film done oh so much i mean we had we had (laughs) numerous occasions and a couple of them ended up being in the cut like when we're sitting at the dinner table and um (laughs) nick harden the older man i had only been like i had gotten rid of somebody else and hired him because I'd worked with him on other projects about two and a half days before we filmed. So he was working really hard to memorize everything. And we're at the dinner table scene and he kept forgetting his own name. And so <laughs> <laughs> it because he's supposed to be drunk. And so he sat there and the one time he's like, so let's not make this into a uh, let's all gang up on William scene and we burst out laughing. <laughs> he literally couldn't remember his name because he couldn't remember his character's name. It was so funny. Oh, that's and awesome. Because I thought that is just that is just too brilliant, and it totally made him seem like he was as drunk as he was supposed to be in the scene. <laughs> I, I am really impressed that you guys shot this whole movie in five days. Like, how big was your crew when you were filming? Uh, about five people. Man, you were like Gorilla Cam. You were just knocking it out, huh? Yeah. Well, I had... This whole movie came, was born out of a 
really bad experience I had in 2021. Uh, there was a big budget film that um, was supposed to happen in New Mexico. We were in New Mexico waiting to film, and all of a sudden we see the chapel that we're supposed to film in five days after we're watching the TV, and it says how Alec Baldwin just killed two people, just shot two people on set, and we're like, what in our oh. The, the Rust movie, was, yeah. No uh, way. And literally, the investors that we had pulled out, we already had crew there that was supposed to get paid, so they couldn't get paid. Like, all of this stuff went down. It was There were lawsuits. It was awful. It was crazy. And then Rich Wolf from Breaking Glass knew that I was going through hell from this failed film, and he called me up, and he's like, Deb, let's make a movie. And I was like, seriously? After what I've been through? <laughs> really want to make a movie with me? And he's like, no, I know how good you are. I believe in you. And I think I think this would be really good for you. And I, I thought about it. I was like, you know what? This is exactly what would be great for me. This this literally could save my life right now. Because people were people were actually texting me when this movie failed and telling me that, you know, I didn't have any reason. I didn't have any right to be in the business. I should kill myself. Like, what? horrible. Yeah, it was bad. It got so ugly. And, um, you know... Rich Wolf from Breaking Glass, I really credit him with saving my life making this movie. And I had to just, like, get it done, and, and I knew that the amount of focus it would take, because I had to quickly fix the script up to be ready to shoot, cast it, get my crew, plan everything. And because I was, you know, it was a small crew, we didn't have a lot of money, and I was directing as well as, you know, starring in it, it was going to take full-on like all of my attention for an extended period of time. And because of that, I wasn't as affected emotionally by all the other crap that was playing out from that failed film. So, I mean, this movie to me, this this holds such an amazing place in my heart. And, and I have the utmost uh, love for Breaking Glass Pictures because they really, they, they, they really looked out for me <laughs> and, yeah. and even with like, they're releasing it and everything, you know, they're getting, they got a great PR girl to come in and work. And I mean, it's just amazing. It's wonderful. I would love nothing more than for this little movie of ours to do really well, because also the, t- the subject matter, mm-hmm. I mean, this is literally born of, you know, the things I, you know, I was a filmmaker and an actress in the nineties during like when, me too was not a, a word, not a hashtag, mm-hmm. but an actual thing that was happening. You know, there would be people that would put, they'd say they'd put a million dollars into my film, but then I'd go to meet them and they'd show up at the door in, um, you know, a towel. And <laughs> I'd be like, buddy, what are you doing? You get dressed. I'll wait for you downstairs. And then guess what? The million dollars never came for the mo- movie, but it was oh, like, imagine I, that. Yeah. And, but yeah. I got through that, you know, not having any kind of repercussions, you know, other than the fact that I didn't become A-list. But, you know, I, I held on to my my morals and my ethics. And it's so crazy because when the Me Too thing started to come out, I thought, wow, you know, there could really be, like, a con job done by someone mm-hmm. from back then. And that's pretty much what this film's about. Yep. And then also, you know, one of the things that I had remembered once I found out what our budget was going to be is the fact that, you know, the whole reason digital cinema was born was because it was so difficult for film- filmmakers in the 90s to buy film stock and then have it developed and everything else. Digital film was, was created by that whole, was influenced by the dogma um, 
the Dogma 95 um, thing that allowed filmmakers to be able to just have the equipment in their hands and make movies, get them made. It was later that when, you know, the Alexas and the Reds and all these other bigger high-end digital cameras came out, that it became that uh, digital film is a million, 10 million, 20 million. But mm-hmm. that was not the original. The intention was to just be able to make great films. And the things that you needed, you needed a great script and great acting. And everything else was just capture it, just capture it and put it together. So, you know, it really, I wanted to get back to that. I wanted to get back to, okay, why why do we shoot digital? Well, it's because it's supposed to be inexpensive. And yeah. it's supposed to be a way that we can actually get our stories out without having to raise millions of dollars. So I would I would love it if, you know, this could actually reinvigorate that movement because you know, I think it was a very important one. It really is because, I mean, there are so many awesome independent, like, producers, directors, writers, you know, out there that, that have work that they need to put out there. You know, but, of course, everybody's trying to shoot for the big budget. You know, they're trying to shoot for yep. the next Universal, the next Paramount, so on and so forth. You know, and, but if you look at, like, some of the stories that, well, Universal puts out, Paramount, quite a few others, and then you look at some of these little independent films that some guy went off with his friends and shot for, like, 50 grand. That movie that he did for 50 grand was far better than that $100 million flop that they threw out there, you know? Yeah. And I agree with that completely. Yeah. I think that they need to start looking... And, and I'm sure you know this just about, you know, just as well as I do that the the bad thing is that there's also it's not what you know but who you know in Hollywood. There's a lot of people that you know they they get these films handed to them just because they knew someone, they knew this person, their their father was somebody, their mother was someone, you know, and so on and so forth. And you and then you have these independent directors out there and and creators that are out there busting their humps who really have great, phenomenal, fresh new ideas. And nobody will look at them because they don't know the right people. Right, exactly. And, and you know, speaking to the whole concept of the studio system, most of the people that run that world are more the bean counters and the accountants and the people that are really about money. They're not there about the creativity. Yeah. They're there because it's a money-making industry. And, yes, it would be nice to be able to make money with this stuff, but, you know, I think it's far more important to create art. It is supposed to be art first. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once things get established, sure, the money will come later. But there are a lot of independent films, tiny little films, that if, if given the proper exposure, would make just as much, if not more, than a lot of these big-budget Hollywood things. Simply because they don't have as much to make back before they're profiting. And that's very true because look at the Saw franchise. When Saw first came out, that movie was only shot on about maybe a $180,000 budget. That franchise now is a multi-billion dollar franchise. The guy who started that whole franchise owns the Tampa Bay Lightning down here in Tampa. So. Wow. Yeah. So. That's crazy. And that was from a $180,000 film, you know? I mean. Go ahead. I just think it's a really uh, wild ride, and, you know, it would be so beautiful if people could stop thinking in terms of, like, well, what am I going to get paid on set? To Like, well, what can I create right now, and how can I accomplish it with what I have in my hands? And, I mean, that's how how painting begins. That's how sculptures begin. Why do we have to, you know, buy into this studio system and think that we need... I've heard people say to me, and they've never made a movie before, but they have a script, well, 
this movie can't be made for less than $5 million. And it's like, well, if that's the case, then that's not the right movie for you to make. That's your first film. Oh, yeah. Uh, my buddy John Rusnick, he owns uh, Toxic Pictures, the production company down here in, in uh, Sarasota, Florida. And I was in the movie House of Blood that he had wrote, you know, produced, directed the whole nine yards and actually shot the film, too. And uh, I was paid in pizza. That's how I was paid. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he's my boy, man. I he never like, knew that. Yeah, I was painting pizza, dude. Swear <laughs> to God, that's we. He would order off for pizza when we're, you know, for us when we're on set filming and stuff like that, man. But he was my boy. It's like, yeah, you don't have to pay me, man. I want to be in this movie. You're a true friend. You really are. You really are dude, a yeah. true friend. <laughs> yeah, I did it because I thought it'd be true. fun. Yeah, that's so fun. Well, that's actually when you bring up pizza, it's funny. That's the one. That's the one um, little pickle that kind of makes me crazy. I will never ever serve pizza on set. Like, I go to Costco, and I'll get, like, the giant veggie plate and hummus and, like, uh, pounds of turkey and all kinds of different things. Like, the one of the things that I always want to do is make sure that people are fed well and they feel nourished so that they can go on and, and do 20 pages in a day. And also, oh, the 20 pages was in a 10-hour day. It wasn't a 16-hour day or 18. It was a 10-hour day, tight. So that, Man, yep, you a were lot really of jamming it in there, yeah. Oh, we were, but we, I mean, it was great. And then afterward, you know, a lot of times it's like, okay, well, let's go to the diner and have dinner or let's go here. Let's do that. So that, you know, I wanted people to feel appreciated. I wanted them to have that feeling of camaraderie and, you know, being able to enjoy a meal together, sitting down like normal human beings and then still go home and sleep well after everything they accomplished. And that way come back and do the, the thing again the next day. But feeling appreciated and happy and um it's fun it, it gets to be really fun it's it's kind of like some strange challenge <laughs> you know what i mean oh yeah golden handcuffs <laughs> <laughs> so when you were so you said it was written by uh, the original script was written by a friend of yours and you adapted the script what uh Man, I lost how I was going to ask the question. Who cares? Um, <laughs> There's um, the train wreck I was telling you about. <laughs> um, yeah, I am the train wreck. Welcome. We <laughs> do. I, I hope you understand. Him and I both have had a very long last 24 hours, and we've had like maybe three, four hours sleep. That's about it, and we're actually functioning pretty well, I think, right now. Yeah. No. Yeah. Caffeine, nicotine, protein, anger, hate. You know. Yeah. Um, the usual. <laughs> um. So with the. The shaping of the script, what really got me and what really, like, kind of tripped me out about it was, like, the whole almost Stockholm Syndrome-like feel of the movie. I mean, the situation is not a good one, but everybody is involved, and they're enjoying themselves, but it doesn't seem like they're enjoying themselves. How in yeah. the world did you pull that off? I know, right? Like with this movie, like us talking about this movie with you, we're trying not to give anything away so people will go yeah. watch it. it yeah, and it's kind of hard to formulate the questions on this one because of the way that, that you did the movie. It makes it kind of difficult, which is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Thanks. Well, this was the thing. My my friend's uh, original uh, short story was a five-page erotica short about three people that are together for one night uh, at a beach house. That was it. So she said, you know, if you ever want to make this into something, and I thought, oh, this would make a really beautiful black and white short that would feel like, you know, an erotica kind of short. And then I thought, yeah, but I don't make shorts. 
And I thought, okay, so how do I put this into a three-act structure? Why would they be there? How did they get there? And then what would the twist be? And then I built it from that. Yeah, you didn't make shorts. You made pants, and you made it in 10-hour days. (laughs) (laughs) So, mighty impressive on the directing and the sewing skills. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so now with uh, with you taking in the adaption, like how long did it take you to get everything set for the, the you know, the dialogue and everything to start filming? How long did that take, that process? Three weeks. Three weeks? Man, you, I, I'm like really impressed. It's like, it's one thing to see somebody do a film that they, you know, that they put all their heart into and they did it. It's another to have someone like you who put their heart into it but did it so well in such a short amount of time. Like a lot of people out there who don't do film work don't realize, I don't think they would understand how impressive this really is that you pulled off. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That means you have no idea how amazing it feels to hear something like that. I really, truly appreciate that. I, I literally just poured myself into this absolutely and completely because I needed to distract myself completely. And, and I also relied on, when I work, when I write, when I create, I meditate. And literally, it's almost like this portal opens up in the top of my head and I let the story come through me. Uh, And I, like, because of how many dogs I have, I'll go for dog walks and I'll just think of the story and I'll let the, the, film kind of appear to me as a finished film and it's not it's not hard it's really exciting it's just it's like playing pretend i just play pretend but i do it like all out and then put it on paper and then put all the people together and then you know the actors are like my barbie dolls all right. <laughs> All right, but here's the thing. Great metaphor. What you just said is actually not 100% true or accurate, and I'm going to call you out on this. With 11 dogs, they walked you, not the other way around. Well, I mean, I kicked them in groups. So okay. it's like three and then four and then three. Yeah, like that. Okay, because when you said you took dogs for a walk, I'm like, nope. <laughs> got to remember, they're all like tiny little chihuahuas and chihuahua mixes, so mm-hmm. I could take up six and... Even if they're all pulling, it's like, oh, you know, okay. Like, there you go. Okay. Okay. Now that makes sense. Um, I, yeah. tell you, I tell you what though, you had to have such a great team with like David and Nick, you know, and everybody else involved in the film to be able to pull all that off in such a short amount of time. Uh, yes. I mean, we work together and also Dan Nakazono, who is the guy that's worked with me forever since then. Um, we met at a film festival in Germany back in 1997. And we just became friends. And he's always been a super supporter. He's like, no, Deb, you need to direct this. And, you know, he he, he just helps with everything. And then um, this other girl, um, Irina, she's actually from from Russia. And she comes on and she helps and helps deal with, like, the lighting and everything. But literally with, with the group that I have and the way we work, it's just this beautiful collaboration. And we get together and we just start. And it just happens. It's, it's magic. It's, it's the best of, remember when you were little and you would play pretend and you, it could be like 10 o'clock at night and all of a sudden like your mom is like screaming at you to get in the house because you have to take a bath and go to bed. That's what it feels like when we're on set. We're, we just get in the zone mm-hmm. and it just happens. 
and people come up with ideas, actors come up with ideas. I mean, David, Dave, is, Dave Williams is amazing. He's absolutely brilliant. And, you know, he'd come up with ideas and he'd say, you know, I'm thinking of this. Are you okay with that? I'm like, let's try it. Try whatever you want. Just let's, you know, and, and when people are allowed to have that creative freedom, they become more inspired to do more and give more. And you can even see, I mean, the, the energy that comes through on the finished product shows just how committed they are and how, how in touch with the story and their characters. They're so committed to, you know, coming, of, of getting the ideas across. It really, it changes it. That changes it. You know, and that really truly makes sense because, I mean, the whole point of being an actor is being someone other than yourself. And when you give them that creative freedom to take what character they were given and be able to spread their wings and, and like you said, you know, do a little bit of improv here and there, you know, and, and make it their character, that, that yeah, that, that at that point they're almost taking ownership in the film themselves and it is going to make them do more and be more productive. Absolutely. And it's it's amazing. It's so fun. It's just so fun. What is like the uh, the longest day you've done shooting on a film ever? Oh, that was a time for Jennifer, and it was a twenty five hour day. Holy but that was wow. Yeah, that was in nineteen ninety two, and uh, and that wasn't I wasn't the director, and we had a, a shoot we did. Uh, we were living in Manhattan, but we shot in Bear Mountain, mm-hmm. so drove all the way up there. That was like two and a half or three hours. Shot had all kinds of issues. Then, um, I mean, we had two different locations, a place where there was a campfire and then a diner. And then the sun was coming up and we all drove back. And it was, that was crazy. That was like, even just thinking about it makes me nauseous. (laughs) (laughs) After, work hard. After 10 hours, people, like the productivity starts to go down. That's why I try to keep it at 10 hours. Like when you're working really, really hard and you're so focused, to hold that level of focus and creativity, you need to wrap it up and reboot. And, you know, I became very aware of that from a very young age. I would have to say that definitely makes a lot of sense because, I mean, and, and I know this is two totally different worlds, but to get this to a, a layman's term for people to understand out there listening right now, imagine taking a test that you had to study and memorize all the, you know, the answers for the test. You're having to regurgitate all that information for eight hours straight, just in a normal school day. All right. So now imagine that while you're giving those answers, now you got to convey emotion with it. <laughs> and like I've had people ask me before, like, you know, I'm, I've been in a couple of films and stuff like that too. And they're like, you know, what's it like, you know, being on set and acting and stuff. And I, and I told them, I said, look, I said, it's literally, literally like, you know, taking a, a test. I said you have to remember, you know, memorize all this information of what you're having to to give back out. But you have to know the timing. I said you have to convey emotion with it. So it's not just regurgitating information. You also have to literally become someone else. You know. Absolutely. Well, and I like to think of it as not really becoming somebody else, but becoming a part of my personality that I don't normally explore. Oh, that's so that's, good. Yeah. Oh man. So on that note, <laughs> um the uh I I don't know whether to call him the anti-hero or what I I don't know what to call him. I, I don't know if to call him the antagonist in the movie. Um Liam 
how much did he play that up in there or is he is he a really nice guy in person or is he that guy he is a sweet amazing loving supportive teddy bear who is just the sweetest human being in the world same thing with dave i mean you know both of the guys they were so precious and sweet and nice and caring they have the most amazing girlfriends I mean, they're just kind, wonderful souls. So, I mean, it's really... But, and then there's me. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me, I was a raging... No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah with, with, it's so funny when you say that about Nick, though, because, like, honestly, like, his character was a major jerk and antagonist in the movie. Yeah. So when you're talking yeah. about, like, oh, he's a big old teddy bear, this... But you know what? It's, I, it's so funny. It's amazing how the guys who are really nice in real life and women that are really nice in real life that plays such bad people in movies and stuff. You, you know what I mean? It's usually it's the ones that play the total sweethearts on TV and film and movies and stuff like that that want to be in jerks in real life. And the ones who play the bad guys are always the people that are nice that you want to talk to. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's because, you know, at, one of the things that made them nice guys and good guys is the fact that, you know, they've witnessed what really bad guys are and what they True. do. And, That's a good point, and, yeah. They've tried to like understand like, well, why would this guy do that? What is he, what is he thinking? And so because they're usually more pensive and sensitive, they will try to get inside of what could have possibly gone wrong in somebody's life that made them into such a monster. And, you know, Nick with the wonderful experience he's got had in his life, he had a lot to draw on, you know, at a certain point. You've met enough, you've crossed paths with enough psychopaths that, you know, you can play. <laughs> that's definitely me with my upbringing and then the military i can go from zero to jack nicholson in two seconds <laughs> so here's johnny yeah <laughs> i can definitely do that <laughs> uh now i see i'm the exact opposite i i see the people like that and like someone is over the top like just super d-bag like or just being one uh-huh. It's always a bad guy that it, I like in movies, though. I, yeah, no, I'm fascinated by him. I, yeah, exactly, I, it's a fascination. It, it, it's it's yeah. like my fascination with the paranormal. I don't want him in my life, but I want to. I want to study the monster. I want to get to. I should have been a uh, a psychologist. Sounds like it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Continue. Me and Deborah are enjoying our session right now. Go yeah, ahead. midlife crisis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're getting free therapy, so you know. yeah. There you go. No, but I mean to go that level because like I, I can't even fathom what makes some of these people tick that are like just downright evil. Well, look at Heath Ledger when he played the Joker. All right, one of the one of the most awesome like displays of acting like in film yeah, history. Yeah, no, he was phenomenal. Yeah. And he was genuinely a nice and guy. And genuinely a nice guy from everybody that you hear from, you know. And and it's so funny because like this guy, you know, like you like you said like with Liam, you know, the character Liam on film, his character is such a just man, there's words we just can't use because I cannot wait till we start doing the uncensored <laughs> podcast. I really can't. Um but his character is a D-bag, you know, of course, you know, with his his attitude, you know, his very machismo type attitude. Um, and, and then like you were saying, you know, how in real life, you know, that Nick is such a really sweetheart, nice guy. So when you see him or talk to him next, tell him we said bravo for playing a excellent antagonist in that film. <laughs> Thank you. I will. I absolutely will. And also, I mean, already, uh, Rich Wolf from Breaking Glass has been asking me, like, what would I do if, if he asked me to do a Sapio 2? And I thought, huh, I got ideas. 
<laughs> nice. So, okay, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being definitely being done, what's the chances of a part two coming out? Um, well, actually, there's another script that I have that's ready to go called Broken, mm-hmm. which is a very similar kind of vibe, but it's a lot more intense, um, if you can imagine that. And um, I'm hoping to do that in August. So um, the uh, an actual Sapio 2, I, I already have an idea for that specifically, and I think we could do that probably in November if we needed to. Nice. Wow. Okay, so we're getting ready to wrap this interview up with you here uh, in the next few minutes. So before I forget, where and when can everybody see Sapio? Um, it'll be out on Amazon mm-hmm. on Tuesday um, and also on iTunes and several other places. I have to find out. Um, the the distributor is actually in Cannes right now selling it to international markets. Oh, nice. So, okay. Um, them but um yeah it's like it's really cool because it's kind of like the little the little movie that could uh, (laughs) i'm very proud of i really am well it definitely had a great uh it had definitely had a great engineer being able to pull that off and make it happen and i can't believe that five days holy crap yeah it was it was very intense very intense yeah because if when you look at the overall you know, process of filmmaking and everything else, at least for us, at least we're familiar with it and seeing that and, and looking at this film, how, you know, how well it was shot and acted and scripted in the whole nine yards. And it was one of those moments where it's like, okay, this, this really good movie. It's really intense, you know? And then it's like, I hear from you that it's only did in five days and it was like 10 hour days. It's like, seriously, <laughs> you know, it's like it, this movie seemed like it would have taken like the typical shoot of like three months, you know, which is usually about yeah. the standard, you know, with a lot of films. Yeah. No, I like working this way. I, I really do. I mean, if in my dream of dreams, I would bring back Dogma 95. I would help influence other people to start, you know, reexamining the way they're going to approach making movies because look, I did it. I'm the proof that it can be done. Oh, absolutely. You definitely pulled it off. I mean, for us firsthand, we got to see the movie, so we know that it, it's not a, uh, a a concept that somebody turned around and said, oh, no, I could pull this off, and then they can't. No, we've seen the the, the movie, so it, it can be done. <laughs> we've seen the proof. Well, oh, no, before we let you go, too, one other thing. Throughout all your social medias, wherever people can follow you, keep up with all your information for your you know, future endeavors and everything else, you have carte blanche to put that out there right now. Okay. Um, I have my, my company is Luxstar, L-U-C-S-T-A-R, and that is on Facebook. Um, I'm Deborah Twist on Facebook, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-T-W-I-S-S, and also on Instagram. Same. All right, perfect. And by the way, I started following you on Instagram too. So, oh, thank you. I'll follow you back. I have to. I have to attend to those things for sure. Yeah, I have to start doing it more. Uh, we may get on. Yeah, me and Jesse have been chewed out a couple of times that we need to start getting <laughs> on our social medias more because we 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 do radio every week. We talk to people. We do events. We MC stuff. You know, we do other projects with other people. You know, so, like, we're always busy and people see us, but it's like, you know, people are like, look, you need to really start beefing up and doing more of your social medias and all that. It's like, fine, whatever. Yeah, so. okay, if you say so. But half the stuff we do, we can't do on social media anyway, so. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on to our program. You know, we are very humbled by your presence here today, and uh, it was great talking to you, and we enjoy it. And we definitely look forward to seeing you again in the very near future with your next project and having you on again. Thank you so much. I hope to talk to you guys again soon, and thanks again for helping get the word out about sexual. No problem. You have a great afternoon and the rest of your great weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Man, I can't believe she shot that in five days, dude. Five days, dude. Five days. Five. Dude. What in the world? Dude, I can't even b- finish building a birdhouse in five days. She's a machine, bro. I know, she, right? She, she is, wow. Yeah, because, I mean, like I said, you know, it's one of those, like, you know, this this out-of-the-box film that she created and everything, you know, and, and made. And when you watch the film... You would sincerely think this was like on a normal, like, you know, timeline, like a lot of films are. Like, most films, depending on the size of the film, is anywhere between months. Yeah, Yeah. it takes like anywhere between, like, say, three to three to six months. Or you can go, you know, Lord of the Rings style and take three years. That too. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, they're doing it in lifetime. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, that's that's pretty incredible, man. And that film was really, I'm not going to lie, start off kind of slow. You know, in the beginning, it was a little slow, but then all of a sudden it just kept edging up, edging up, edging up, and then it's like, okay, wait a minute, I didn't expect that to happen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, no, it, yeah. It screwed with you a little bit because, like, the whole it. I have a real thing about people being dominated. Like, I have a serious like d- distaste for it, and that's almost what felt like was happening. Mm-hmm. Kind of, sort of, not really. It, 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 it was like. Like, it was Jason's cool. listening to the show because he he obviously had watched the film too with us, and he said uh, he said Liam clearly needed the blue pill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I that love was awesome. it. That yeah. was a, see, this is why he needs to like. I, I know he's got stuff going on. We this, know, this, yeah. This is why fact, he's here. Yeah, quick shout out to our boy Jason. Uh, he the reason why Jason is out today. Is because uh, his wife Felicia just had surgery. I'm not going to get into her personal business about the surgery, but we are wishing her luck and a speedy recovery. It's my sister-in-law um, and Jason, of course, my brother-in-law, and so he was being the good husband and staying home and taking care of little mama today. Uh, she just had it yesterday, so I know she's a little sore and tired today, big time. Yep. Yeah. Good so. job. Way to good be a husband. Good, good way husband. to go, bro. Yeah. yeah. Brownie points. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh. Oh man, dude, this has been such a fast-paced week, man. I think for both of us, it really oh, absolutely, has been. yeah, dude. I have been rocking out this week. Um, next week is definitely going to be a lot slower. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. <sighs> I'm hoping my week could be a little bit slower next week. For yeah. real. Oh. We're getting ready to move again. All that good stuff. Yeah, you're, y'all are like turtles, gypsies. <laughs> <laughs> turtles. <laughs> I like gypsies. Turtles makes it sound round and slow. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> uh, Am I got totally enough for you. <laughs> oh my god! So when uh, I, I totally legit went down that road of that movie, um, mm-hmm. uh, Master of Disguise, because. When she was like, yeah, you have to become someone else. All I heard was, become another person. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, yes. And that whole – and like it changed my whole perspective of mm-hmm. uh, Master of Disguise because it's literally an actor playing an actor acting like other things, like becoming other people. Dude, think about Robert Downey Jr. in Tropical Thunder. I Having love- to keep up with that – 
persona and character throughout that film it's, and make it hilarious. Dude, Robert Downey Jr.'s a monster, though. I mean, he's he, a monster. Of an he, actor, he, big he's time. Yeah. one of a kind because him and probably Johnny Depp, there's mm-hmm. nobody that can like really sit into a character. Any character they decide to play. You know what? I agree with that completely because you know like a lot of actors out there and actresses, you see them go from one film to another and there's little adaptions of themselves in every single one. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? They're like the a, same it's person. Like a re- yeah, exactly. Yeah. A repeat character in every film. And uh, But with them, it's like, dude, they just totally... They just, snap. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they become someone else. Yeah, they're, completely. They're, it's almost psychopathic how they snap. They're, yeah. You go from, you know, Captain Jack Sparrow to like an assassin. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, what is this? Yeah. And then like you know, Once Upon a Time in Mexico with Johnny Depp, that I character, and then you see him playing Jack that Sparrow. Movie. I absolutely adore that movie. Yeah, like yeah. that whole series, mm-hmm. because that's part of the Desperado series. Yep. I adore that movie, especially when Johnny Depp played in there, because that that man, first of all, was it a Tarantino film? I feel yeah. like it was. Okay, yeah. yeah. So very Tarantino. Oh, absolutely. But like, yeah. and the way he went out. Mad props on that because that was awesome. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it. I was. I grew up, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. You know mm-hmm. that, and all the girls were swooning over Johnny Depp and all that. And then, like, I see him once upon a time in Mexico. I was like, I can get down with this guy. Yeah, like, yep, yep. <laughs> I'm good with him. And uh, and uh, and then you turn around, and you see like, I, I'm 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 sorry, but like in the Marvel universe, like, there's a lot of characters in the Marvel universe. That people have portrayed those characters, like, you know, Chris Evans is Captain America, you know, mm-hmm. Chris Simsworth is Thor. They couldn't have not have done a better pick of Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark. You could not have picked a better person to, the timing. to hold that and persona. It, and it's all about timing, and this goes yeah. back to sapiosexual as well. The timing was on point because I'm glad she wasn't on the set of Rust because – Oh, absolutely. It yeah. sounds like a crap show, to be completely honest. Like, yeah, yeah. That whole scenario – Bro, you, no, no shooting on that. <laughs> no shooting while you're shooting, okay? Let, yeah. let, let's not do that. Yeah. I, I, can you believe he got off of those charges too? Because the way the way it sounded like, now I'm now you gotta remember everything you hear in the media is not always yeah, precise yeah. and it, exact. I, I, so it yeah. is a grain of salt, but like from all the rumors, how about that rumors? There we go. From the work. media, it sounded like almost like he was playing with the gun and. Well, no, it sounded kind of threatening the way he was playing with the gun, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah. they were having an argument, and he like straight up, yeah, like bro. <laughs> but <sighs> we weren't there; we don't know. No, and nobody will never know except the people that were there. Yep, absolutely. And thank God, Miss uh, Deborah here was not there. Yeah, because that dude when she brought bro. that up, I was like, whoa. Yeah. yeah, way to dodge a bullet. No kidding, right? Literally. <laughs> So, uh, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I love me. I I do too. <laughs> it's these moments. It's these moments right here. Uh-huh. This is where I feel closer to you. Oh. When you turn around, you come up you with know, stuff you, like that. You stay that over when, there. When you come up with stuff like that, that's when I'm like, I'm a proud. You stay over there. Fine, whatever. All right, folks, we're going to call it a weekend, and we will catch you next weekend where we have absolutely nothing planned because we don't plan anything. We do have a guest coming in next weekend. Oh, do we? Yeah. Okay. I don't have any plan because I don't plan anything. <laughs> <laughs> Later. Sitting there picking at a chicken on a raft. Hi, yo, chicken on a raft. Hey, yo, 
chicken on a raft. Hi yo, chicken on a raft. Hey yo, chicken on a raft. Now get me the middle and the forenoon too. Hi yo, chicken on a raft. I'm pulling on a wheeling crew. Hi yo, chicken on a raft. Seagulls wheeling overhead. Hi yo, chicken on a raft. I ought to be home with me bad the bed. Hi yo, chicken on a raft. Chicken on a raft on a Monday morning. Oh, what a terrible sight to see. Dad toes born in the dust. Sitting there picking at a chicken.